0: wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we
1: touch him? No, don't. Help me. Help. Help. Good morning. Good morning, Professor Warthog Ward Scott here in the Warthog Manly Command Center inside the Melton Law Studio. Melton Law, with 50 years of experience, the only official law firm partner of the Florida Gators, Melvin Law won't back down. And remember, crime prevention, worry less with crime prevention security systems by preventing package theft with their doorbell camera. Contact them today at cpss.net. And my good friend, the law office of Maurice T. McDaniel, who sponsors our mugshots for you to take a look at to see if any of your friends have made the lineup. Well, we've got a great guest today. We've got a very controversial subject. I can tell you that already because I've had some feedback. And that generally the topic is health care. And of course, we have had a lot of discussions about health care and who isn't somehow tied to the healthcare care system, whatever that system might be, even if it's going to the pharmacy and picking up your prescription and waiting for the doctor to call it in and wondering why the staff does it and the staff drop the doctor's ball and all that kind of stuff. There's all sorts of things that happen along the way here to our mortality at the end of the road. So... Dr. Josh Umber is with us. He's tuning in from Wichita, Kansas. He says it's snowing out there. Well, that's his problem. (laughs) (laughs) We're in the piney woods of north central Florida here, doctor, in God's country, what we like to call God's country. And uh, he's the founder of Atlas MD. I'm going to ask him to explain a little bit of that. And what we plan on doing is opening up the phone lines at the bottom of the hour to take any questions you want to ask Dr. Umber about medical issues. I'm sure he'll be glad to take those. Uh, atlas uh, md is a different approach and uh, from perhaps what you're used to but i have also experienced a little bit of telehealth and uh, i'm very interested in the pros and cons of this subject uh, medicine is difficult to see everyone and a lot of people really can be seen um so she uh, less intimately than perhaps uh, would be necessary if it's a, something it can be consulted with so dr umber how, is, how does Atlas MD work? Let's start there. I see you got the Atlas uh, logo on. Yes, sir. Uh,
0: so we started uh, this clinic 12 years ago with the idea that we were doing healthcare care wrong. Uh, it's not that insurance is bad directly, but we're using it as a tool uh, in the wrong way. You know, we don't have car insurance that pays for gasoline or homeowners insurance that pays for lawn care, uh, but we try to insure everything in medicine. Uh, we believe that we can make a lot of medicine, 80%, uh, 90% cheaper. So instead of paying your insurance to pay your doctor, we don't take insurance and we charge a monthly membership, uh, very much like Netflix to Blockbuster. So it's $10 a month for kids, $50, $75, or $100 per month for adults based on age only. So no pre-existing conditions, we'll change prices. Uh, And for that, you get unlimited visits, free telemedicine, no co-pays. Procedures that we can do in the office like an EKG are free because they cost less than the cup of a coffee. Uh, So then we can continue to add more value by doing things like wholesale medicines, wholesale labs. Uh, If we go direct to the manufacturer, we can get a a cholesterol test for $3 and we can get your uh, cholesterol medicine for a penny or two a pill. Uh, and, and that's our way of bringing value to the patient so that they need less insurance and try to
1: fix the system. Well, how many doctors, uh, uh, physicians assistants, uh, nurse practitioners, et cetera, whatever the right term is for your organization, do you have in Atlas MD? Uh,
0: Atlas ourself is just five doctors, uh, family physicians, but uh, we're part of a direct care movement that uh, we help uh, about 20 20, 30 doctors a month start a practice like this. So there's now probably 1,500 doctors in the country doing some form of of this model, uh, which is quite a lot when you consider it took Starbucks 16 years to get their first 17 stores. Uh, So it's been exciting to to see it grow.
1: Well, you know, the typical story that I'm uh, familiar with, and uh, and I've reached the age where I've been, well, not only do I have physicians for friends, but of course I'm a customer of those is the terrible model, I think, and they think also, of the business people making decisions about medical issues. And they've had to band together, and I'm sure you know this story. It seems you're going the opposite direction. They've had to band together to hold costs down. There No longer is it such a thing as you are talking about, uh, family practice, so to speak. Um, now they've had to go together and big partnerships. And the decisions about the medical care they deliver is not made by them. It's made by the business managers of that partnership. Is that the model that you are kind of running away from, if you will, if I use the right term there, or trying to, you know? Yeah, I
0: think, uh, yeah, you said it well. We're trying to skate to where the puck is going to be versus where the puck is. And um, I don't really even think you can blame the business people nearly as much as blame the doctors. Uh, Now, it's easy to blame everyone else, but uh, it's when... We gave them the the kind of authority or permission to manage the billing side, so we could focus on patient care. Makes sense in the beginning, but as it got worse and worse, we kept doubling down on that system. Uh, you know, there's a great line: if you want a new idea, read an old book. And if you go back far enough, the 20s and 30s, doctors had membership clinics, and we didn't need insurance for everything. Uh, but unfortunately. Med school doesn't make business or innovation a priority in education, which there's a lot to learn anyways, but uh, we, we needed to take back that ownership and say, okay, it, how can we fix the problem? Uh, and as you start to look at that, you realize, well, I don't need insurance for the majority of what family medicine does. It's not like I need an MRI or an operating suite and uh, if i go and talk to the labs about how to get the best prices they gave us the answer they right? and they said well yeah if you pay us direct we'll cut out the insurance and give you a 95 percent discount this was wonderful you know and then we talked to a pharmacist and said well where do you get your medicines and how much do they cost and they explained how they get medicines direct from the manufacturer the distributor for pennies on the dollar so it, it wasn't until physicians kind of took ownership and said we're going to work back through first principles style and, and solve this. Um, that then we could say, yeah, we need fewer business people jacking up the price to fight insurance, et cetera.
1: Well, we have a lot of patients. Uh, we all are patients in a way, one shape or another, who are listening and watching right now. And some I know personally have had um, an encounter with cancer and cancer treatment is enormously expensive. How would a patient handle that that would come to you, say, at Atlas MD, you discover it, let's say, diagnose it. Then what would happen?
0: Well, it depends on the cancer. Uh, it's, it's uh, I think, one of the uh, more asked questions, because cancer carries this disproportionate weight in our minds. Uh, we're less worried about uh, high blood pressure or aortic aneurysms, but everyone has been touched by cancer. Uh, but it only really makes up 5% of the health care spend nationally. Uh, and there's solutions to that. So I've had a patient with a basal cell carcinoma on their cheek, skin cancer. The procedure to remove it is free in our office. The pathology is $70. Uh, we get the results back. It's adequately removed, uh, clear and adequate margins. So skin cancer cured for $70. Uh, and then people say, well, but that's, you know, different. And it is, it's a a different cancer, arguably an easier cancer, but it's still a cancer. Uh, We had a patient who was going through uh, breast cancer treatment. One of her uh, estrogen blockers with her Blue Cross insurance was gonna be $700 at the pharmacy. We could get wholesale for six. So we actually gave it to her the first month for free just to say we could. Uh, We had another patient with a brain tumor. Her chemo was gonna be $26,000 and we could get it for 1900 uh, So still expensive, but significantly better. And, and not because we do anything other than go to the manufacturer and say, what's the direct price? So there, there's still a lot of ways, even for cancer, to drastically uh, improve the, the system and, and the affordability of care, which means more affordable insurance.
1: So am I hearing you correctly, when you say immunotherapy, for example, might my- um, um, caller listener here says it costs fifty thousand dollars a treatment. Is a lot of that cost the middleman? Where is that? Where is that cost coming from? Then, yeah,
0: it, it can come from everywhere. Um, again, it depends on the specific treatment. Um, you know, if we're talking biologics for rheumatoid arthritis, uh, you know, again, there can be a vast difference between what is billed and what is paid, and and we sort of have a -a whack-a-mole system where there's incentives for insurance, hospitals, doctor's offices to just keep that suggested retail price up very high so that they have more bargaining power when they're negotiating for uh, actual payment. Um, And uh, and that creates this false idea of how expensive things are. And uh, in part, the Affordable Care Act requires insurance to spend 85% of everything they collect on healthcare, which, you know, for patient care, which sounds great on its face, but it also gives them a disincentive to uh, find ways to decrease costs of care because each year the premiums are gonna go up. So each year they they need to adjust that with spending. Uh, So we've disincentivized cost savings in a lot of ways, Um, but uh, unfortunately not all doctors know they can do wholesale meds or wholesale labs. So it's educating doctors so they can educate their patients, their employers, ultimately back to the insurance company.
1: So in effect, what we're talking about, if I can paraphrase this, is a standalone lab that still has some sort of partnership among doctors of like interest or skills who cut out the middleman and go to the wholesale source of the, in this case, the chemotherapy, I would suspect is what this gentleman's talking about, that he... And you made a very important point because I see my Medicare bills, and I see that the doctor billed a heck of a lot more than Medicare pays. And what what is happening there now is the doctor deliberately is billing to the max because if he won't, Medicare will even drop more and more what they pay. Is there a formula that Medicare has of what they are asked to pay to what they pay? I'm sure there must be.
0: It's not transparent. It's difficult to find out for each um, you know, area, for each Medicare Advantage plan. Um, it's not just a go to the grocery store and see the price of uh, things allowable everywhere. Uh, and then hospitals will try to negotiate for you know more money, more payment. Well, we're a very important hospital. We're the only hospital uh, in this area. So it, it's a constant push and pull negotiating for the best payment which on face makes sense, but it ultimately means higher premiums later. And there's not a good mechanism in place currently outside of of our model to to help drive those costs down. Uh, For example, Medicare Part D is about a $99 billion budget. Uh, We could save Medicare $1 billion or about 1% on one medicine. The difference between what a patient and Medicare pays for Lipitor First, what our wholesale price is for Lipitor, would save the country a billion dollars. If you roll up our 40 best generics uh, wholesale, we'd save Medicare 20 to $30 billion on Part D. So uh, they, they need to embrace more solutions like this, but then administration gets in the way. It's a big red tape
1: monster. You know, if it's anything like the NCAA, let me just switch gears here for a moment. Yeah, sure. <laughs> The, you know, the NCAA has just created this monster called name, image, likeness. Where we're paying kids to play uh, football as if they were pros when they actually are students. And the problem with the NCAA, I learned yesterday from a person who understands that organization, is that none of the administrators of it were athletes. <laughs> they're all—they um, <laughs> don't know what they're talking about. And sure, and this sounds sort of analogous to what we're talking about here. Um, the people running this thing are not doctors I mean, is that no, right
0: you're right and and it's funny that that we're even shocked by that on some level right like uh you know that you would you would have thought everyone in the ncaa was a former athlete because how would you fill that role without it but we've, we've come so accustomed to this emperor's new clothes that oh you don't have to be a doctor to run a doctor's office and they were kind of right because it's not practicing medicine It was the business of billing insurance, and and that didn't require a doctor, Uh, but the solution did. The solution to come back in and say, all right, how do we um, change our incentives? And uh, for us, our why is patient care. How do we maximize the affordability and quality of patient care? And when we got away from this addiction of sorts of, well, it must be insurance, uh, then we could actually get to solution.
1: Called the doctor Josh Umber, who is a part of an APS MD organization that is really antithetical in many ways to the current model that much of the medicine treatment is being administered with. I got, to, of course, uh, we're going to open up the phone lines here in a little bit and actually let you call in and talk to us. But right now, I got a couple of questions. Back, right, it's right back. Uh, uh, Two to the basic big expensive ticket items, as you can imagine. These are the people with the serious cancers and the serious needs for treatment. But one fellow says a Cretunda immunotherapy treatment is billed at 52000 a treatment, one every six weeks. But insurance and Medicare reimburses at $21,000. Uh, is that 21000 even reducible? Well, for that medicine off the top
0: of my head, uh, I don't have a wholesale price for it. Um, I'd say we can answer both ways. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Um, when possible, uh, there's you know great medicines that have a generic equivalent, uh, even for cancer, because some of these medicines have been around a long time, and we should use those whenever possible, like in my previous example, to save $25,000 of treatment, um, uh, approximately. Because every time we do that, we decrease what insurance costs. Um, there's a great doctor in... Um, uh, North Shore, Florida, Uh, Dr. Lee Gross with Epiphany Care, and and he's worked with his local hospital uh, for direct care and their employees and has uh, published uh, savings of 60 to 70% on their insurance premiums. If we can decrease the cost of insurance premiums that significantly, we can both afford to give employees a raise or help people who are struggling under high insurance premiums, but also improve the coverage. So if, you know, there is a generic, great, we should be using it. And if not, why is Medicare under reimbursing for care? Because they can't afford to, to appropriately reimburse. So if we, if we bring them the savings to show them, here's where you can save billions of dollars on simple meds, then we can fold that back in and improve the quality of insurance in other places like this example.
1: So the savings would not be initially realized by the patient since the patient's using the insurance to uh, pay it but would be realized eventually perhaps even sooner in premiums that the patient would be charged right
0: correct so in a medicare example you know you've already paid into that system so you're not getting as much back if you were a small business or even a larger self-funded business you would see those savings uh immediately uh you know there's a uh, society of actuarial study that showed direct primary care decreased ER visits by over 40%. Uh, that's money that goes right back into the hands of the small business and the employees, uh, in, in most insurance models, because if they're not spending it on insurance, their premiums aren't going up. It's not being pulled out of their, their accounts. Uh, so it does really mean real savings for real people and kind of real time.
1: Here we have a person who I know, uh, uh, quite a good friend, he's actually with an airborne medic in Vietnam, Uh, went through all that Agent Orange stuff and now has pulmonary issues and goes to rehab at the VA. And the VA only paid 30 cents on the dollar. Why would anyone agree to accept patients at that reimbursement rate is the question?
0: Well, uh, there's again, kind of two answers is one, a lot don't, unfortunately, uh, you know, we're not providing uh, maybe as maximal care as we could to our veterans, for that reason, is this is uh, another example of government-run healthcare that's not so great. Um, and, and because, I, again, I think physicians haven't taken ownership of that and said, where can we find savings to help patients uh, on the cost side, but also drive up quality. Uh, but then also, um, you, know, it's it's a fragmented system it's lots of administrators, lots of bureaucracy, lots of things that pull value out before it reaches the patient.
1: Is this, the other question coming in is, is the alternative, I understand, and I may not know much about this, correct me if I'm wrong, but a VA patient has a choice of private or VA, but I heard that the reason the patient doesn't often get the right treatment of private is because the government's slow to play the private. The government prefers, is that right?
0: Yeah, Um, you know we don't have as much experience in that space, but the the VA, uh, you know, again is different for each location you're at. But I think it struggles. Uh, And I've worked in ERs across our state, and often when a veteran would come in, and you say, "Well, we need to transfer to a regional center," the VA gets to decide that first if they'll accept that transfer, they'll pay for that transfer, and and that can be a, a very slow process. Uh, and it can affect patient care. So we, we need to modernize that system, but it's expensive. If we, if, if we can find savings somewhere else, we can afford to moder- uh, modernize that, and that kind of feeds into our telehealth uh, topic as well. Of We've got to be using the best technologies available to us to provide the fastest, most affordable care, and uh, not all systems do that currently.
1: You're the founder of Atlas MD. Does this be... Uh, was this a slow process getting this organized or did you feel like there was a need for it and right away you know people began to uh, get bored of this how did that go the genesis of it and the development of it
0: yeah uh going back our, our kind of to the full arc of our story uh growing up my dad was a trash man uh he's a lawyer now so of course we still tell people he's a trash man um, <laughs> you know but he he ran a great business and, and in hindsight it was a membership model like ours because you paid once a month, and you picked up once a week. So then, my first job uh, as a pre-medical student and undergrad, working for a surgeon, uh, doing his insurance billing and coding, and saw, and this is two thousand, saw how broken this model was and how difficult the reimbursement was. Um, you know, you could be an excellent surgeon, but if you didn't just dot every t and cross every i in your paperwork, you wouldn't get paid. Um, that didn't make any sense. So I watched insurance-free models from a variety of directions for undergrad, med school, residency, all to build up to uh, launching this practice in 2010. Um, and patients responded very well, uh, better than we had hoped, because they were equally as frustrated with uh, long wait times, no transparency, no privacy, short visits. Uh, there was no shortage of problems to solve for the customer in healthcare, care, and, uh, and I'm glad we were able to.
1: Is it true? Is this one uh, uh, listener is saying that in a sense today, most doctors are government and government employees? And well, they they're, they're controlled
0: by a lot of government rules without the benefit of government benefits. Uh, you know, holidays, retirement, uh, <laughs> hours, pay breaks. Uh, so uh, it's, it's worse than that, uh, I would argue. Even uh, worse uh, than being a
1: government employee, right? <laughs> it's worse.
0: It's worse because at least they have some level of of rights. Um, and, and again, the government healthcare system, not typically run by doctors. It's it's an administrative game uh, that that means we we're focusing more on the paperwork than we are on the patient care. Uh, and you're right. They'll say, "Well, we uh, Medicare won't pay for this medicine." Uh, for example. There's a medicine Medicare will not reimburse for, uh, and it's $34 a pill at the pharmacy that we can get for $0.13 wholesale. Um, There's a lot of what Medicare does well, but anything it chooses not to, the doctor's hands are tied, uh, the patient's hands are tied. Uh, So unless we go outside of that system, we won't find solutions.
1: I remember being told one time by my cardiologist that, well, we'd order this test for you, but right now your insurance won't pay for it. And I'm telling you, I mean, it was, it was wacky, you know, <laughs> I mean, I, you told me that and, and he uh, said, you know, we'd like to do it right now, but we have to wait. I think it was another three months before, I don't know how it worked. You know, it was over my head, above my pay grade, but before, for another billing, how's that work? Another billing cycle would come along paying for it.
0: No, no, no. There's rules for all that kind of stuff. They take a mammogram. Um, each mammogram has to be more than 365 days apart because they're not going to pay for two within the same, you know, quote calendar, you know, uh, time frame. Uh, there, there's all kinds of things, even going down to the day. Uh, Medicare will pay $45, last I checked, for a doctor to clean wax out of your ear, uh, but only one ear. I'm sorry. No, no, you're right. If you clean both ears out, uh, they won't, they'll only pay for the one. <laughs> so some doctors are then sort of made this you know difficult decision. There's, there's lots of these analogies where do I do what's best for the patient, take care of both ears, or do I do <laughs> one ear, bill Medicare, and then they have to come back at least 24 hours later. So if your appointment was at 10 o'clock today, you can't come back until 11 o'clock tomorrow to get the another copay to bill Medicare another $45. Um, and that may seem like the doctor's playing a game, but it's really playing a game that Medicare started. Because Medicare didn't reimburse me for something over here and I lost money, then I I have to to figure out how I can make money to keep my five to seven staff employed uh, over here. And uh, and it's a -a whack-a-mole system that that can be solved with, you know, uh, innovation like like we have just overnight, really. Uh, We clean out ears for free. So there is no fee for it, you know. Uh, (laughs)
1: Yeah. (laughs) And again, countless examples like this. I'll bet there are countless examples. And once you you can probably sometimes see right through the ear to the other side, right? Right. Through and through, (laughs) yeah. But by the way, back to that billing of 45, you probably weren't paid the 45. They probably yeah, they broke that 45 down for some reason, you know? Well, and and most doctors' offices have an overhead of a 70 plus percent.
0: But what what is the doctor actually that people would hear that and say, oh, the doctor took home 45 dollars and put in his pocket is, you know, really probably lucky to get, uh, you know, $12 out of that um, and paying everyone else. And then you're fil- filing paperwork for this. Like, you know, on some level it's ridiculous, but Medicare requires paperwork for everything and uh, um, and you won't get paid otherwise. A ver- very opposite of, of take something that arguably works is food stamps. You give people, uh, and Milton Friedman spoke to this, is that what, what, uh, individuals need is cash uh, more from the government, not a, a government program for shoes and shirts and food and et cetera. Uh, but you can take a, a food stamp card, EBT card, and and it functions like cash, and you can go anywhere in the grocery store um, and get the same price anyone else would. So that invisible hand keeps those prices low without any additional paperwork. Um, but then doctors have to spend, depending on the study, as much or more time charting than they're spending with the patient which which is ridiculous and that's what patients want the most is time with their doctors so if there is a doctor shortage we could solve it overnight by just decreasing paperwork
1: well you bring up a good point here before we take our break i have a good friend who's an orthopedic well he's a retired orthopedic surgeon now been in practice a long time and the um group that he had to become part of and eventually the management came to him and said, well, you're only seeing X number of people a day and you need to see twice as many people a day. And he said, well, the reason I see only X number of people is I've seen these people for 50 years. And the reason they keep coming back is because I know them very, very well. And it's more, you know, just me fixing whatever's wrong with their skeletal structure is not the whole story. I'm their physician, you know, they need to talk to me or whatever. So I take time with them. And he was told, well, that's not good enough. <laughs> basically. There is no public. reimbursement for, and, and, yeah. And, for and so he said, okay, I, I I retire. It's about time anyway. And this concerns right. me because this, and you know, we're going to get into this in, in a minute, when, but we'll have to take a break in a minute, but here's the thing. These guys, the old timers, if you will, um, uh, the, uh, they are being replaced by the young guys. Now, pardon me if I step on your toe, but you're a different animal here, it looks like. And I those guys, to cover themselves, correct me if I'm wrong, want to overtest to keep the lawyers away from them. Is that true?
0: Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, one, you're right. We are, are losing a generation of extremely seasoned doctors that could continue to practice for, for years, maybe a decade, if we made it worthwhile, if we decrease their paperwork, allow them to spend time with patients, really, you know, practice the art of medicine versus the paperwork of medicine. Um, but then the the younger generation, is, I would say often less feels that this is a calling, more feels that it's a job, uh, sometimes a bit nine to five. Burnout is happening, you know, earlier and earlier in the career, sometimes as early as a med student uh, because the, the whole system is is broken. And, uh, and th- so we lose valuable patient care. And if I don't have time and a relationship with a patient, uh, you know, a, a doctor could lose more money in a lawsuit than they make in a lifetime. It, it's a, it, on some level a terrifying experience to go into every patient room and realize if, if this is an emergency, this, this could wipe me out. Um, I, I think that's something often underappreciated by patients. Uh, so you have this when you see that, you're faced with, do I spend a bunch of this patient's money and maybe create a, a very difficult financial burden for them? or protect myself. So now I've got to find this this Goldilocks spot of, of imperfection where I don't think you need a colonoscopy just yet at $2,000 not covered by your insurance. I think we could try some you know affordable medicines or tests or a week or two or three of time to, to see if this goes in a different direction. Um, and, and that decision alone can be the difference for a career. Um, yeah, med malpractice scares lots of doctors uh and and negatively affects patient care and affordability.
1: And 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 referencing what you talked about a moment ago as emergency room physician let's say you know you discover this aortic aneurysm abdominal aortic aneurysm for example and your primary care guy you report that to and this is this is an old seasoned guy and he says well that's only two point that's only two centimeters you know uh we're not going to be concerned you know we'll watch it that what you're alluding to whereas a younger guy might say, oh my golly, this A, B, and C, because he didn't have that seasoned diagnostic art that the older guy has seen so much of this, you just alluded to it. Well, we don't really need to do that colonoscopy just yet because all these act- factors I know about you, your age and your tests. And here's another big thing I think we need to talk about in a minute, so much to talk about. And I've tried to convince people of this, and I didn't take it up as a younger person because as a younger person, you think you're immoral, but establish a relationship with a physician who knows your history and knows it has a record of your labs and has a record of your EKGs and has a record so that you don't wind up in the emergency room correct me if I'm wrong and that guy is working from scratch and doesn't know a thing about you and yeah am I right on that
0: absolutely I mean as family docs I think that's one of the most important things is establishing care and continuity of care Um, because often these pieces come together over time and knowing your family and knowing what their history is, okay, and watching yours, seeing the bigger picture. Um, and uh, you don't want to just be a, a number to another doctor that's got 3,000 patients when we only have 600 and we intimately know each patient. Uh, I often think I could give a bio to my patients if they wound up in the EMR or ER without ever checking their chart because we we know them. at, And then the better that relationship is beneficial both directions is uh, the doctor knows you better, but you know, their thought process better. And we don't always have to agree, but so we can work through this as a team and say, you know, okay, I know that you're a unique patient compared to my other patients. You prefer more testing or less testing. You want medicine or you're uh, distrusting of medicine. And uh, it's, it's a complex dance. It takes time to do it well, uh, and so start it early and, and try to maintain that relationship uh, for sure.
1: We're going to take a break here. We're talking about uh, Dr. Josh Umber, and we'll never complete this conversation because it's so interesting and has so many angles to it. We're open the phone lines up when we get back. Uh, we'll have production pay, uh, put the phone number up for you to call in. And if you call in, we'll put you in the chat room for a second and then put you on live with us. Uh, there's so many questions and about so much confusion and, uh, when I want to get back, if we don't have a call, I'm going to talk to you about the hospitalist. <laughs> what a creature that guy is. He means well, but he doesn't know you. You know what I mean? Epitome of it in my mind. Right back on the Ward Scott Files, we're going to thank our sponsors and all our donors who keep us bringing you the best stories and information we can bring you. You're right back in a moment. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files Premium Sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems Large Enough to Serve You, Small Enough to Care Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators The Ward Scott Files Gold Sponsors are Maurice T. McDaniel Shoot GTR On-the-Spot Dry Cleaners R&R Construction And Style Cuts If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.awardsgodfiles.com, and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Wardscott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us.
0: Hello, boy. wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy.
1: Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Cornell, known as the thin skin, water boy. And Cornell, known as Mini Mike. And Cornell wears elevator shoes. And Cornell, he just wants to be like. We're back line here on the Word Scott Files. I want to give a, a shout out to Shoot DTR that has recently become one of our sponsors. A great range to practice your art of ballistics with uh, shoot GTR, safe, uh, well managed, and uh, really an expert place to shoot. So you'll be safe at Shoot DTR. We appreciate them being one of our sponsors. We're talking about Dr. Josh Umber. And before while we we're on the break, I, I relayed to him some of my private uh, experiences with the medical world. And some of you know. Uh, I was out for a couple of months from the show, and so many of you all stuck with me and uh, sub for me and all that, and there's a whole story behind that I've never told publicly, but I was telling some of it to Dr. Ombra here on the break, and it um, it's, it's really teaches you a lot when you're at the uh, end of the line, so to speak, and somebody comes back and draws you back and gives you a new lease. Now, one of the things I did learn about while I was there, and I, I found this to be just the way it is, and that's the hospitalist. These guys were good guys, but they didn't know me, you know. They didn't know me, and they met well, and, but I watched them. <laughs> they would change. They shift. I mean, they were like auto workers, you know, deliberately. They didn't want to practice because I guess this whole world had discouraged them from having their own practice, but they could be doctors, you know, real doctors. Is, uh, and what they would do is they would come into the room, and they would look at the computer. And see what the previous hospitalist who'd been on the shift had put in there about me. And it was okay, but it wasn't me in that computer, if you know sure. what I mean. And yeah. He would come back and he would sit down and the, they would chat with me for a moment and they'd say da 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 And then that's the end of, I wouldn't see him again. And and um then the next one to come in, he looked at what that guy put in the computer. <laughs> and sure. it's a whole new guy. You know? And I'd never seen the same guy twice, you know? And, and, you know, my own family guy, he said, we don't make out. We don't come to hospital anymore.
0: Well, it, yeah, it's, it's a symptom of a broken uh, process. Uh, I think analogous hospitalist to family doc, people would say the same thing. I don't see my regular doctor every visit or they never lift their head up from the computer. They're always typing. It's a short visit. Um, so the same thing that makes a great family doc makes a great hospitalist is time and attention. Uh, but then the same problems exist for both where the family doctor has to see 30 or 40 people a day, which is a Herculean task. And the hospitalist has to see 20 plus people a day, which, you know, is for them on sicker patients is, is very full. Uh, so we, we need to, again, as physicians, I think, take ownership of that process. So where can we find cost or time improvements because the number one thing is someone just coming sitting down next to the bed and listening to you for a little bit and, uh, and finding out more. That way they can you know, have continuity of care and treat you as a person and, and know what you need and don't need.
1: Well, it's quite an experience. And so many people, I'm watching some of the live chat line here. Perhaps we'll have a caller here. Um, they take, I, saw, I see a gentleman who said, well, he hasn't seen a doctor in 20 years. I would say that's living dangerously because here's what I've learned. Our assumptions about ourselves are just that. Assumptions. They're not based on anything. And just a kind of blind faith that today's going to be like yesterday and tomorrow. But you can be in an auto accident. Uh, All of a sudden, what's your blood type? Uh, Where do we find it? Uh, there's all sorts of assumption that it can go wrong. Uh, you yeah. can be standing around and, and and black out, and you know what's this from? You know what we don't know. We don't have a medical history. We'll have to go from scratch. It's going to take us longer to diagnose it, and by the time we diagnose it, we might lose him. Yeah, you know, uh, not to mention,
0: um, no one would say don't change your oil for 20 years, don't file your taxes <laughs> for 20 years. Um, that's that's you know, great. That's it great. is. Let's hope we're healthy, but but I also say, you know, Art of War uh, makes the comment that if the soldier makes a mistake, blame the general. So if a patient doesn't go to the, the doctor for 20 years, I say, oh, well, how, how do we blame the doctors? What have we done to make them not want to present to, you know, uh, earlier in my career, before we started all this, we'd hear a lot. Well, I hate going to the doctor's office. Um, and they'd say that to the doctor. And I don't think they necessarily meant to be rude, but it represented their angst and frustration and concern well, it's hard to schedule and, and it's a long waits and and uh, usually when I'm sick and not feeling good. And then all that for a short amount of time with the doctor and a big bill. And if I don't know how big that bill is, I'm going to justify not going to the doctor. Uh, so that's where physicians owning this and saying, all right, here's a transparent thing. It's $50 a month for unlimited care. If we, you probably need your cholesterol checked, it's $3. Worst case scenario, it comes back high. We can treat it for 60 cents a month. And as we educate patients, we, I think we pull back layers of that, uh, that archetype that says, I just, I'll i never go to the doctor. Well, they don't go out of fear or frustration or other things. And we, if we listen to that and find out why, uh, I think we can reach them and, and then improve their health.
1: To what extent have um, we, this is kind of a delicate question, but I, I know it's out there in the minds of people had to lower the standards for medical school because of politics. Let's talk about something that's not so nice to talk about. <laughs> Is there any of that okay. going on? Is there any of
0: that going on? Uh, directly or indirectly, um, uh, the, the pe- the, there, there's an argument to be made that the smartest people uh, are, are going to go to the careers that reward them the most. And whether that's time, attention, family, power, flexibility, you know, all these kind of things. Um, and if medicine doesn't look attractive from, you know, 70% of doctors wouldn't recommend it to their family uh, because of burnout. And, and that's not uncommon in, in a lot of professions, but that's that's saying uh, we we're not... Organically incentivizing very talented people always to medicine. If medicine looks bad, we have uh, one of the highest suicide rates, the highest burnout rates, some of the highest um, uh, educational debt, you know, and the uh, high six figures. And, uh, and then, of course, which arguably one of the longest apprenticeships, uh, four years of undergrad, four years of med school, uh, depending if you're a surgeon, five years of residency, and then if you did a a sub-fellowship, another two, three years, you can be starting your career in your mid-30s. That's a long haul for somebody who could say, I could be a software engineer, uh, either not go to college or or straight out of college and be making six figures with undergrad debt uh, and work from anywhere in the world for giant, exciting companies like Google, Facebook, Apple, et cetera. Um, so I, I can't specifically say I know they're decreasing the uh, requirements, but it is uh, a product of, of the process.
1: Yes, I'm, 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 I, I think I know what we're talking about here because the older guys who really are excellent are doing exactly what you're doing in this conversation, saying, suggesting they're saying, i would think twice about going into medicine if i were you my son <laughs> because you know it's getting worse i mean i don't know of an older doctor because they my peer group is that 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 group of doctors who don't haven't said that to me haven't said that to me they're very concerned right. about this i mean now we're filling the void some and they're actually guys from india uh, you'll see more of that coming to our hospitals and and becoming our electrophysiologists and people like that, who are very highly skilled technically. But our homegrown, smartest guy in the class probably, and I think this is an interesting study, is going somewhere else and doing something else, I, I, I think. I, I'm just anecdotally thinking that based upon my experiences. I, I think
0: as, uh, as society and technology evolves, um, you, you go from being a kid and thinking, you know, doctor, lawyer, teacher, fireman, space cowboy. Uh, to you realize, well, Google uh, again, Amazon, Apple, drones, um, SpaceX, Tesla. That you could there's there's even more demand on their attention for uh, exciting opportunities, and uh, it's not going to default to just these these ones. Uh, especially as people uh, distrust doctors more through the through COVID or whatnot. Say, well, boy, I don't know if I want to be a doctor during the next pandemic. I would rather be able to work from home and not have those complex issues. Uh, yeah, I, there, there's, like any profession, lots of incentives and disincentives. Uh, all the more reason for me, family medicine is a love story. Uh, you know, I love the profession, I love my patients, I love the model. Uh, the, the, I don't love burnout. I don't love my peers committing suicide. We, if we fix it for one, we fix it for the other. And the, the more attractive healthcare is because you can make a good living while helping people and not being too rushed uh, and really connect, then I think that's how we can organically a- attract some of the you know best and brightest.
1: Telehealth has been helped, has it not, by COVID? By that I mean, I know that my uh, pulmonologist, for example, friend, for a long time didn't go to the office and started doing everything by zoom or telehealth. And the reservations about that, I had from somebody who saw our advertisement for you coming on the show today was, well, how do you get your blood pressure taken over telehealth? How do you get your temperature taken over telehealth? You know, all the basic types of things that require hands-on he was talking about. What's, what do I, what's the answer for that? Um,
0: Telemedicine is a tool and uh, a wrench makes a decent hammer, uh, but a hammer makes a horrible wrench. Uh, you use each tool appropriately. And uh, the the ability to have telemedicine in combination with your family doctor or relationship with whoever you're working with is, is an a overall benefit. Uh, you, the The idea about vitals is a fair question. But there's more technology for patients to check vitals at home than there ever has been. I mean, in 2022, I can tell a patient, have your watch send me an EKG. Something impossible five years ago um, that now routinely I'm having people's smartwatch uh, alert them to an abnormal heart rate uh, rhythm that could be AFib. Fantastic, because that's a hard thing to catch sometimes um, because it may come and go. And usually by the time it starts and you get to the office, it may have gone. Um, so being able to catch things in the moment, your pulse oxygen while during a pandemic related to lungs, um, if you take things back far enough, horses were a medical technology because doctors didn't have to walk to your home. Um, and all visits were in the home. And you could argue that that's you know a fantastic way of having a visit because you can see their living space, et cetera. Um, and then there's a book, the Social Transformation of Medicine, about healthcare, you know, through the 1910s and 20s and 30s, et cetera. Uh, but it, then roads was the technology used for healthcare. And then phones, uh, because well, if we can just talk, if you have a question about how to take your Tylenol, I don't, we don't need to be in the same room. You and I don't need to be in the same room and we get to have this conversation across the world. Uh, why wouldn't we bring those kind of things to our patient care in any benefit? Uh, if you wanna come in, you should always have that backup as an option. But you might have questions before uh, and after your appointment, and now it's a, it's a much richer experience. We can talk about your depression for weeks by email and kind of tease this thing out uh, you know, it, with the time it takes. But we can't do that in a seven-minute visit uh, reimbursed by your insurance where I spend more time on your paperwork than I do talking about your, your depression or anxiety. So um, I, I think it's a net gain uh,
1: by far. Mm-hmm. And you know what you brought up was very interesting because I have all these, I have the, these pulsometers and watches and cardio and all those things. We actually measured your EKG and sends it to your physician. He can read it right there as you, uh, and here's the plus about that. As you know, if you go into your office, say, uh, that's not perhaps a typical moment in my day. I'm right. coming into your office under a certain anxiety or whatever that affects my pulse, except my blood, pro- you know, white coat syndrome, all these things. Yep. Whereas you say, okay, go away. I'll put this heart monitor on you, which is one thing, but we don't even have to do that now. Just put your watch on and send me, you know, and I'll watch your pulse throughout the day or take your EKG through periodic time. I'll take a look at it. And it's it's more representative of your typical day than coming to the office. So that's my counter to the gentleman who said, well, you don't take this, you don't take that. Yeah, but you only were taking it at that one moment as well. Right, and,
0: and you, you mentioned white coat hypertension. We know 30 percent of the time your blood pressure is high just because you're in the office. One of the reasons we don't wear white coats. Um, so really? I didn't I, realize that. Is that true? That is true. Um, really? So, yeah. so then, you know, specifically for blood pressure, uh, getting it in your home and work environment, one, two, or three readings a day for two or three weeks. Now we have an average, right? Now we can be very evidence based. We can bring your cuff in and compare it to our clinical cuff. If they're close, great. And if they're off, you know, by five or 10 points, we can adjust. Um, but it's, it's, it's a data driven decision process. So let's get more data from your home so we can make the best decision. Um, you know, I don't think anyone would argue with that, but they may not call it telemedicine because they tend to think telemedicine is call, text, zoom type stuff. Uh, but, it, but it's all of that. And if that's what we have now, and we didn't have it five years ago, what will we have in five or 10 years from now that would even further uh, improve uh, patient care and affordability and diagnosis?
1: Here's a good question coming in from somebody who has a lot of experience in the medical world. As I say, was of course an airborne medic in Vietnam and then is um, using the VA as a result of being an airborne medic in Vietnam. Which is a you know a twist that we didn't like to hear, but that's happened to a lot of guys. You know that Agent Orange stuff. It, what a crazy thing that was! Uh, sure. Why did we not think it wouldn't defoliate people just as it did trees? I, just, I and then we marched our own guys right through it. I, I you know, I've never understood that, but uh, you know it, you know it's war, so I guess that's the case. But but here's the here's the point this listener making, and I think it's interesting. If we can supply your office regularly with reliable data from these technological innovations we have, does it therefore free, I would think the answer would be yes, does it therefore free you up for the more esoteric decisions that you would make through art, interpretation, your experience, your skill, and nurse tech, uh, practitioners and physician assistants can feed you uh, that data and not necessarily tie you up so that you can see more people. you follow his drift?
0: Uh, Yeah, I think uh, the the question is, does it improve the overall care? Absolutely, right? Um, If we can get, instead of, let's say, the whole process, the multi-step process of scheduling a patient, they call, they look at their schedule, our schedule, they get off work, they adjust their meetings, they come all to check one blood pressure. Okay, well, you can swing in and just skip all that and and walk in, but then you might walk into a line and have to wait a long time. Or you can just take these at home. I mean, we're talking about you're spending for a a, a $20 blood pressure cuff. You're going to spend way more of that in time and travel, especially gas at $6 a gallon, uh, to to get to the doctor to check one blood pressure. And, And that's not always representative of your average. So uh, yeah, the more information we get, uh, the easier we get it, you know, right data, right time, right decision. And uh, then you're right, we can dive into more complex things. Basically train is uh, uh, take the time to call the specialist on a complex case, research it a little bit further, uh, You know, talk to the lab to see which test might be the best test at the best price for a unique diagnosis, uh, which means less specialty care, more continuity, um, lower impact on your insurance premiums. So, yeah, we definitely want doctors being able to do all of this.
1: We just texted uh, to uh, our production our link for your article, which is about what we're talking about. Uh, want we'll me make sure I have this right? It's uh, in real. Let me get that just right, Doctor Umber, uh, in Real Clear Health. And the articles there as uh, telehealth here to stay, and you say yes, but only if we stick the landing. Could you interpret that? Paraphrase that. Only if we stick the landing.
0: Yeah, uh, I think one of the, the few examples of the government doing something really well. I know you're talking uh, about
1: uh, you're talking about gymnastics. I know so. Right. Exactly. <laughs> um, in March
0: 2020, they uh, uh, based on the, the pressure of the pandemic and everything, they, they made you know, sweeping changes to HIPAA and healthcare policy uh, by making, uh, uh, going from this, the previous HIPAA security rules, which are very vague and difficult to follow, et cetera, which slowed innovation to uh, a very appropriate good faith principle. That as long as you are practicing medicine uh, with new technology in the good faith of patient care, not collecting data, not selling things, not recording stuff—you shouldn't be. Then we're going to give you a wide berth, and uh, and and ultimately, that doctors were able to go overnight to using technology that patients were using every day to talk to their friends, their family, their teachers, their uh, coworkers, etc. So it drastically improved uh, accessibility for care, and, and they need to keep that. Going forward, uh, there's been talk about pulling that back because that's what government does, um, and uh, and that would stifle innovation, right? We we want the apples uh, of the world to be making uh, the next greatest thing to go on the smartwatch, uh, which uh, some people say is a. a continuous blood glucose monitor, which would just change the world in terms of diabetes if people didn't have to stick their finger and had continuous or near continuous monitoring of their blood sugar from their wrist. You know, we, we're already living in the future, uh, but the government needs to allow that flexibility of innovation and, um, and growth. So if they pull that back, uh, we'll topple over like a house of cards. If they allow us to experiment, uh, this infancy will grow and mature and give us all kinds of, uh, I think, wonderful benefits.
1: Do you feel like you need a lobby to do this? Do you have an organized kind of political elbow here in any way? Uh, We we do have organized
0: political um, aspects, especially Dr. Lee Gross with Epiphany and and North Shore, I mentioned, um, does a lot uh, with the group Docs for Patient Care. Uh, uh, and but at the same time, what we've learned is legislation uh, it, it is a double-edged sword, and uh, it, it the government's a GI tract. You can put a Casey strip up top, but a stake won't come out.
1: Um, <laughs> I guess <got> so. You.
0: <laughs> you know, by the by the time you put in a bill and, and it goes through that whole process, and, and you know, four hundred plus congressional people get to uh, right. read it and make changes, et cetera, ends up not being the baby you wanted. Um, so we tend to work at the state level, um, targeted stuff, but, but very few groups are even um, uh, working against the direct care model uh, because I think we have focused so diligently on the patient experience, more care, more often for less money, uh, ultimately solving insurance costs as well uh we, we're not goring any oxes uh legislators from both sides of the political aisle see the benefits of uh better faster cheaper health care and cheaper insurance so uh, as long as we keep problem solving for patients i, I don't suspect we'll get too much grief
1: we certainly enjoyed talking with you i want to thank manfredi group for making you available to us It's a great asset for us and uh, we'll probably uh, we'll post. Of course, we have posted here the link to your article. But if you would like to have a link to this show, just let us know. We'll send that to you. You may oh, want to put it on our website or someplace. Well, uh, because it's a lot of interesting, in-depth Q and A here. That you know, we're very helpful. Hopefully, my questions have been intelligent and helpful. Uh, I do have quite a bit of experience, as you know, with you guys. So it's uh, very interesting. Uh, and I have uh, you know, bring a little personal. Uh, uh, touch to all this, but uh, so I really appreciate you coming on. We've been talking with Doctor Josh Josh Umber, who is out in Wichita, Kansas, and is trying. Um, I think hopefully it will catch on. Particularly, we didn't get into this, but we have a ballet organization here that uh, none of most of which are not uh, uh, citizens and don't qualify for any kind of insurance, but need for, uh, doctor coverage, and we've had to splice that together really from sympathetic physicians. There's no organization like yours that I'm aware of in our area. So um, there certainly seemed to be a need for it, especially maybe you never have thought about that angle, but there are people here in ballet, um, in the ballet world who can't get medical treatment because they're not sure citizens. they don't have insurance and et cetera, et cetera. But they, they're, at, they're here and we brought them here. So that's a whole nother show. Maybe we'll do that sometime. But absolutely, uh, my pleasure. Great. Well, listen, uh, we'll be back tomorrow on the Word Scott Files with hopefully more interesting discussions for you that will help you uh, kind of weigh what the truth is going on in our culture and how it must best apply to you. We want to thank our uh, sponsors and our donors and thank our guests. And uh, we'll wish you a very fine day here. Uh, we do have bright sunshine here, doctor. So we wish we could ship it your way where the sunshine is. <laughs> thank commence- you very much. Thank you, sir. Warthog Command Center out.